You have complete control over your environment. Usually, the temperature ranges from they do well in anywhere of you know 68 to 74 degrees, which is a a, a great in-home temperature. You don't have to worry about buying pesticides. You know that's a big deal because the way they're grown is you you just eat them like you don't even have to wash them. You could just cut them and plate them immediately like that. In this episode of Voices from the Field, urban farmer Pasha Angel of Healing Den Farms in Houston, Texas, discusses how farming realities led her to shift gears and produce microgreens literally in-house rather than crops out in the field in the brutal Texas climate. This risk management decision has expanded her experience and led her to a new customer base. This podcast is produced by the National Center for Appropriate Technology through the Atra Sustainable Agriculture Program under a cooperative agreement with USDA Rural Development. This podcast was made possible in part by funding from the Southern Risk Management Education Center, USDA National Institute of Food and Agriculture, through the University of Arkansas. Let's listen. Hey everyone, um, I'm Justin Duncan here with NCAT. Um, I'm a sustainable ag specialist, and um, I'm going to talk to a farmer who's going to introduce herself. Ma'am, who, who are you and what do you do and where are you from and all that? Hey, Justin, I'm Pasha Angel with Healing Den Farms here in Houston, Texas. Um, I have a microgreens farm here. Um, it's an urban farm operation located in the heart of the city. Okay, so it's an urban farm. What, what's, your, what's your service area? My service area is Third Ward, Museum District, uh, Midtown area. Okay. How long have you been doing that? Going on about a year now. So how has it been so far? Well, it's had its challenges. We're um, still in the beginning stages, you can say, as far as expanding and knowing the area. Because um, it's taken some time to actually get the whole process down packed and just get um, everything together as far as learning um, and troubleshooting the crops. Okay. So um, do you have like a, a farming history? Is, is your, are you from a farming family or like, how'd you get into this? Actually, I came from, my origin was more of a dairy farm. Um, we didn't grow a lot of crops. I tried my hand at growing crops outside a, a, a few seasons, actually, but it was just really strenuous because of the soil I was dealing with. It wasn't controlled um, and the dealing with pests and dealing with vermin out in the country. Mm. And when you say country, uh, Houston's not the country. So where, where was this happening? This was happening in East Texas out in Liberty County. It, it's kind of swampy out there the mm. soil yeah i'm familiar with that area because they uh they grow like uh blueberries out there the, the region is famous for uh for blueberries and rice actually. and rice yes <laughs> further south further south yeah. lots of rice production yeah but y'all weren't growing any rice y'all were dealing with with dairy cattle um yes we were dealing with meat so i didn't want to get into that it's a little bit 
a whole lot different from vegetables. <laughs> um, but I did, we did try our hand at some different crops out there and, um, we just say corn didn't do too well. The ants is kind of pretty much took over that both seasons and, um, but okra did okay. Okra did well. Yeah. I like okra. Do you eat okra or are you just lots, growing it? Lots and lots of okra. Lots I love okra. Of, all right. Yeah. All right. I'm a fan <laughs> of okra myself. So how did you end up transitioning from country to urban farming? What what happened? Where where this new direction come from? Well, in the country, you're going to need some help. You know, you're going to need some <laughs> dealing with the earth there. You're going to need to collaborate. You're going to need to know some people to help you out there. Um, you're going to need some hands when you're dealing with uh, you know, digging the ground is very hard and it's just a lot of work. Um, so after I saw that I needed a whole lot more help and a whole lot more structure than I could do by myself and the timetable that I had, um, I came to the city and looked for some other options. So you came to the city. So why did, why did you choose microgreens? What, how that how that come about? Well, I was doing some research um, online, and I had a friend who knew a little bit about it and, and directed me to some videos. And I saw some videos, and I was like, "Well, it looks like something I could do." And it was a lot easier to put together. It actually only took me about a week before you know, to get the supplies together and, and kind of read up on, you know, how to get started to, to feel confident enough to do it on my own. Okay. So do you need a lot of space to, uh, work with microgreens or? Actually you don't. Um, I used about 200 square foot of space and it was indoor space. Okay. Mm-hmm. So what are some of the uh, some of your opportunities to to make sales? Like who who are your customers? What who's who's looking for these microgreens? Well, fortunately, the area that I stay in is a health conscious area. So Third Ward, East Downtown, um, the Heights, you know, even the Museum District. A lot of people are looking for healthy options, mm -hmm. and so there are some organizations, some local organizations here, there are a lot of them are beginning stages that help local businesses put their name out there and, and get known in the area. Okay. So like if you compare the growing microgreens versus raising dairy cattle, um, is it, is it easier or what, how do you feel about that? I feel like microgreens is perfect for, today's hustle and bustle. You don't have to dedicate your full life to being a farmer. You can actually fit it in part-time and it's convenient, you know? So once it's set up, it's just a matter of you're in your home, you're in the convenience of your home. Uh, you don't have to worry about being outside and dealing with bugs and things of that nature. And once you get the gist of it, you know, it's a low startup. You know, so it doesn't cost very much, you know, 
um, less than $500 to get started. Don't have time to stay up to date on the freshest sustainable agriculture news, events, and funding opportunities? You can trust NCAT to keep you connected with our weekly harvest e-newsletter. Subscribe today at NCAT.org and get your weekly harvest delivered each Wednesday. Uh, another good thing about it is you can involve the whole family. So um, the children can be can partake in learning how to grow, learning about the different types of soil and the different types of microgreens. Um, and even uh, the elderly is something that they can do and keep them busy. Okay. So um, what you're saying is that you know, this, it's, a, it's a big difference from t- between country farming and, and doing this new urban thing. Because I don't, I mean, I, I've seen that microgreens have become more popular. They're not everywhere, but they're, they're many places. Um, why would somebody want to switch from, you know, growing crops outside and in the elements, especially given the, 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 the weather in Texas? Um, like this summer, this summer I lost all my, all my experimental crops just about. I have one yeah. vine left, so. You know, it definitely would be the risk management um, because you have completely control over your environment. Usually the temperature ranges from, they do well in anywhere, but, you know, 68 to 74 degrees, which is a, a, a great in-home temperature. You don't have to worry about buying pesticides. You know, that's a big deal um, because the way they're grown is you you just eat them like you don't even have to wash them. You could just cut them and plate them immediately like that. Mm. Um, so coming from the country, everything, it's um, it feels like an evolution. Mm. You know, you're dealing with, you know, you don't have to worry about deer eating on your eating on your crops outside mm. or waking up and wild animals or chewed away and got a little bit of breakfast. So, <laughs> yeah. you know, so that's the biggest thing about it is just being able to come home and water your plants. And there, you know, after you take a shower, you don't have to worry about putting on boots or going out there and getting all dressed up uh, to go out in the dirt and go out in the weather. Also, I would say the space that you need, mm-hmm. you can grow microgreens in a really small space. I grow microgreens to service the community. Mm-hmm. Um, so even if you have a, a, a just a nice wall, it's, it'll supply enough microgreens to, to feed the family on a regular basis. Okay. Mm-hmm. So you're working with the community. Do you have any opportunities to interact with them besides just supplying the greens? Or you know, actually, we can. We actually go and we'll set it up for you. Mm-hmm. So if you just need help or assistance, because, you know, when I first started, I was a little bit nervous, but it turned out to be way more simpler than I expected it to be. So once you get people comfortable with it, you know, they can just fit it on a spare wall in their in their kitchen. So you actually teach people how to set up their own microgreen operations. Uh, yes, we we're willing to do that, too. We do that. Um, and we even place it in restaurants. Some people use microgreens as 
decorative, like just having fresh greens there, Mm -hmm. you know, in the restaurant. It doesn't have to be outside. You just, you know, the watering is controlled um, and it's uh, not messy. Okay. So now what's, what's so good about microgreens? Like why, why, why do we need to eat microgreens? Well, microgreens are 40% more nutritious than full grown vegetables. Um, and so it's almost like eating a side salad or just eating cilantro with your food and you're getting all this, adu- this additional nutrients in your body. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's low cost. You're growing it right there at the house and you're getting the nutrition that you need. Okay. Mm-hmm. So. What about like your your soil? Like, what what kind of soil would you need to set up a microgreen or, um, operation? Well, the soil I use is a proprietary blend, um, but you can get your soil um, online. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a popular soil that people use, but we use a special blend so to um just to add more nutrients to the soil so like what are some of the types of uh, microgreens that you work with we work with pea shoots and wheatgrass and sunflower they all have their own distinctive uh taste and feel to the palate Mm -hmm. Uh, wheatgrass is usually juiced um and it's pretty popular but i would say for those who know about microgreens, sunflower would be the most popular once you've once you're familiar with it. Yeah, I, I met a lady a long time ago out in East Texas um, that was raising uh, the sunflower microgreens, and she she loved it. She made her money off those things. So you know, it's it's definitely been on an upward trend for for quite a long time. Um, do you have any? Any challenges that you that you deal with? I know you mentioned that there were that there weren't pests like deer and stuff and microgreens, but are there any pests that you've had to deal with? Yes, especially in the beginning, growing sunflower was a little tricky to start with, um, mainly because it attracted these fungus gnats. Oh no, those are those are terrible, and they were in the house. Definitely, yes, they were. Um, but we got those under control fairly quickly. You just kind of got to be patient with yourself. You might have to do a restart, you know, just depending on, you know, I think at the time we, you know, we had the back door, we leave it open for the air to come in and they love those things. And so as you start to grow it or, you know, you get used to it, you'll see which green is, you know, that you may have to keep a closer eye on or you may have to add some natural there's some natural things that you can do to keep those things away okay so is there any other information that you would want to tell a person who was getting into the microgreen business like any any good starting advice i would tell them before you start to sell the microgreens to make sure you get some good growing in you know um take some time to really learn how to grow it and feel comfortable growing it. Cause they all grow just kind of a little bit different before you just, just start growing and selling because you may have, you know, a flat that's real thick and, 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 
you know, luxurious one week. <laughs> and then the next week you're like, well, why is this, why is it not like this? So you kind of want to just troubleshoot with yourself. You can watch videos, but there's nothing like actual hands on doing it yourself and feeling confident about it. So you can produce a high volume every day. Yeah. I mean, it sounds like a pretty ideal crop to kind of, uh, breakthrough a lot of like what you said that risk management where you know we've, we've got these over 100 degree summers and there's no rain it's um pretty impossible not pretty impossible but it's it's fairly difficult to uh to grow crops in the uh in the summertime here and microgreens seems like it's a it's a pretty uh decent risk management uh choice for crop production and I keep mentioning risk, risk management because I do want to thank the Southern Risk Management Education Center for providing funding for, um, for many, uh, many workshops that we've done this summer in the past uh, 18 months, talking to producers about different ways that they can uh, look at their land, uh, use unused spaces, you know, for smaller operations if they want or, or just diversify their own operations. Um, we had them look at their, their soil differently, look at their uh, situations differently and see if there's any opportunities that they can slide in. And like what Pasha has talked about today, she saw an opportunity in unused uh, space in her house and changed it to a microgreen growing um, environment. All right, y'all. That's been another podcast with Justin here at NCAT. That's it for this episode. Thanks for listening. Additional information about this episode and related resources can be found at atra.inkcat.org. Don't miss an episode. Subscribe to Voices from the Field wherever you get your podcasts. I'm your host, Rich Myers. ATRA, Voices from the Field, is produced by the National Center for Appropriate Technology, headquartered in Butte, Montana. It's supported by the USDA Rural Business Cooperative Service as part of NCAT's ATRA Sustainable Agriculture Program. Any opinions, findings, conclusions, or recommendations expressed in this recording are those of the participants and do not necessarily reflect the views of the USDA or NCAT. We'll catch you again next week, and until then, keep on farming.